Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk podcast. My name is Carrie Fisher. I'm the Globalization Services Manager at Subway. Javi Eti and I are former guests on Sultan's podcast, and today we are taking over his podcast for this very special episode featuring Sultan himself. Sultan has interviewed dozens of people, and it's time we learn more about him, his localization leadership, and what motivates him. But first, Javi and E.T., please introduce yourselves. Javi, you go first. Hi. Hello, everybody. It's Javier Diaz. I am the Global Brand Champion at Aclaro. I am the creator of LockLife. I've been in the localization industry today, 2021, for almost six years. Uh, probably you've seen me around. I am use, I'm a heavy user of LinkedIn, social media, and uh, I am so thrilled about this interview with, with, with Sultan. He's been doing so much for all the localization community that we really needed to interview him back. Iti. Hey everyone, thanks for having me. This is such an honor. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Iti Sahai. I lead growth through localization at Procore Technologies, which is an enterprise SaaS platform specifically designed for the construction industry. My journey in localization has uh, till now spanned around 15 years, both on the buyer and the vendor side. I have been a guest on Sultan's podcast and I can't wait to put him in the hot seat and ask him some questions today. Really looking forward to this. Thank you both so much. All right, Sultan, it's your turn to be on the hot seat. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your company, how long you've worked there and where you're located. Oh, wow, guys, this means so much for me. You guys today interviewing me, three legends in our industry. I'm so uh, honored uh, that today three of my industry colleagues who are very distinguished have decided to put me under the spotlight. So thank you so much. Um, to answer your question, I'm a Canadian who has been in the language industry since uh, early 2000s. I started my language company, YYZ Translations, in, uh, in the year 2006. My company has been focusing on delivering fast and reasonably priced translation and transcription services to organizations in the corporate training, healthcare, legal and government sectors. And um, recently we have pivoted a little and built large multilingual teams to source text and speech training data for machine learning and AI solutions, which is an exciting new area for us. Um, My company is based in Toronto, Canada, and we have presence in Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. And that being said, I'm very excited to be talking to you guys today. Well, thank you so much. We love to talk to you and and learn more about you. So everyone has a different story about how they got started in this localization industry. How did you get started? Like uh, most people by accident, (laughs) you know, like we all ended up here. Uh, when I was in university here in, in Toronto, um, at University of Toronto, I got a call from uh, someone in, in the administration that, um, you know, our national broadcaster uh, in Canada, the CBC, needed someone who spoke uh, Dari language, the, the language of Afghanistan. 
apparently the university knew of only one student who was from Afghanistan, although there were a few of us there. Um, this is a couple of months right after 9-11 happened. Uh, unfortunately, that tragedy is you know, burnt into memories. So I went to a CBC office and they offered me around $25 an hour just to spot check some documentary footage that they had gathered from Afghanistan. Um, to give you an idea, I was earning around $9 per hour working in university as a student. This was a, a welcome opportunity and um, after spending a few months uh, on, on this project, uh, this is something I thought like I, I could monetize my skills, the languages that I had. Uh, growing up in several parts of the world, I ended up learning seven languages, and it was uh, a natural move, I guess, to transition into this industry. That's when I started getting involved in, um, you know, with translation and, and learning a little bit about how these uh, different languages are needed and how we can transfer content or text from one language to another, learned about the different technologies. And uh, my post-secondary education is in computer science, and I spent the first uh, few years of my professional life developing mobile phone uh, interfaces and, and operations system standards for a Canadian telecom company. In, in 2006, I started and uh, incorporated my own company to serve the translation industry. And in 2009, I decided to commit full time, uh, basically as an engagement and as a leader in my organization. I am uh, very lucky to have great mentors in this industry who have taught me and led me uh, in, in the right direction. Among others, uh, Craig Buckstein from Geneva Worldwide gets the credit, who was the first person who encouraged me to grow this company beyond Canada, and he's an amazing leader himself. I cannot thank him enough for his support. And that's how I started. But I, I learned that, uh, uh, you know, it's not just uh, getting a message from one language to another. There is an entire process. There's an entire industry built around this. And, and, and I'm still learning today. So it's been a journey and I'm enjoying every minute of it. That's amazing. Seven languages. Wow. I'm not good at all of them. So yes, there is. There is a whole ecosystem to support the localization industry. Um, I belong to several organizations, as you know. Do you belong to any localization-related organizations? Absolutely. And, and these are organizations are actually, um, they, they're driving not just policy and standards, but also they look after um, uh, every player within the industry and, and trying to address their needs and so forth. So besides working for my own organization, I think we all have um, a duty to give back to our industry. And this is in the form of uh, uh, whatever works for you, basically. I offer time and expertise to a number of organizations. In particular, I'm very committed to the Association of Language Companies or ALC. But in Canada, we have another organization called Canadian Language Industry Association. So I'm, I'm involved with both of them. Uh, and they get things done. So I like the ALC because they are not focused on micro level issues, but see the big picture in the language industry and influence policy um, in the interest of our industry and its members. Um, I've been with them or involved in one way or the other uh, with ALC for the past 14 years. Uh, I have worked as the chair of survey committee in the past, um, and, and this year I have been working as the chair of the online events committee uh, with uh, my colleague Leilani Craig, who is an amazing leader herself. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as I said, uh, I've been involved with the Canadian Language Industry Association, uh, where I'm a board uh, member uh, at this point, and I'm also um, leading their um, sponsorship committee. So I've been involved with this organization since 2012, and it has come a long way since then. In particular, the last year or so, it has made uh, significant strides. Um, it is undergoing some serious transformation, and I think the industry in Canada will immensely benefit uh, from that transformation. I've been uh, chair of their sponsorship committee, and uh, I believe in its mission to defragment 
the industry in Canada and build bridges among the several stakeholders in um, uh, this industry. Uh, lastly, I'm getting started to engage in GALA, uh, or the Globalization Localization Association. As you are aware, it is a unifying force in our industry. Um, I will be attending their webinars as a speaker and panelist. Uh, recently, I spoke at one of their uh, panels on, on uh, natural language generation, uh, which is a subfield of artificial intelligence. I think we have an amazing opportunity to share our knowledge and experience with others in, in the industry. Uh, after all, it is our collective experience that will drive innovation and new things. And I believe these organizations provide that opportunity to all of us. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, I, I didn't realize you were involved in, in so many. That's awesome. Um, and you, you clearly have a passion for technology and AI in our localization industry. Um, why is that? How did you become to be so passionate about that? Thanks for that question, Carrie. Uh, I have a natural passion for technology, and that comes from my education and, and background uh, before formally joining the localization industry. When we talk about um, technology, I automatically think about what goes on under the hood. Uh, whether it's a web service, uh, blockchain, machine learning, or any other technology solution, I think about the nuts and bolts, and then I think how it fits into uh, the business process. Um, not every technology or not every piece of innovation can be monetized. I think we live in uh, very exciting times because technology and innovation is constantly driving business, uh, but also enabling it in so many ways. Uh, I'm of the mindset that uh, technology and humans will share a future, uh, but technology will always and should always be in the service of people. Uh, and it is exciting to me that we have the ability and power to decide how we will put technology to help people. We are at that stage and in, in, in history of technology where we can make decisions and, and shape its future. It is just sad that our industry has been very slow in adopting technology, and uh, I personally believe that's about to change. Yeah, that's great. I'm one of them, by the way. I'm, I'm one of the slow adopters. So <laughs> we all are. <laughs> I'm partly to blame. Thank you so much for telling us about your, your background and, and yourself, and I'm going to pass it off to Iti, who wants to ask you about your career. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Gary. Hey, Sultan. So you shared with us that you you know, have some level of fluency in seven languages, Dari being perhaps an exception where you have a more native fluency. I would love for you to share your personal journey with us. So having learned seven languages perhaps allowed you to navigate different cultures, countries. So share with us, please, where all have you lived and what all did you learn from those countries, cities in just your journey in life? And how has that influenced you as, as a person. Thanks, E.T. Well, it's so nice to be speaking with you today and switching spots where you're asking me questions. So mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm very honored. <laughs> Uh, as you know, our environment shapes all aspects of our personality. Um, in my case, circumstances forced me as a child and my family to move into different places. Um, hindsight shows me that what I interpreted as hardships um, early on in my life actually forced me to learn skills that have certainly shaped my, my life today, actually. I, I picked up several languages on the way, uh, not just languages, but different skills. Uh, I learned about different cultures. Uh, and we were just talking earlier, um, I, I now appreciate foods from different countries. Desperation uh, uh, for a better life forced me to learn things uh, quickly and absorb copious amounts of information. And that helped me flourish in the localization industry. Um, I, I'm, I'm very blessed that I work in an industry where I'm connected with people from 
many industries and many uh, and majority of the countries in the world. Uh, I have a personal curiosity about different people, about uh, their way of life, uh, and and this industry makes me feel right at home. Um, but I think there is still so much for me to learn and contribute. My experiences in different cultures and countries help me shape my current understanding of the world in the context of our industry. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, something you said that you know what you perceived as hardship is perhaps the skills and experiences uh, which you you know unbeknownst to you at that time it's just all perspective right when Absolutely. you go through something i like to think of it as that you grow through it instead and it might not be in the present that you might know what it is that you need to learn from that experience but some somewhere down the road um that that experience will come in handy right it's not a miss but couldn't agree in, more with you yes absolutely but in your illustrious career so far you know uh, running a company for over 15 years and uh being an entrepreneur what is a transformation or contribution or an innovation? What is it? What is that one thing that you are extremely proud of? Thanks, Edi. Uh, I don't think that there is one thing. Every day we do many things and sometimes we are um, very proud of them. Sometimes we just learn from them and move on. I think we have all contributed in our organizations and to our industry in many forms. I'm very proud of supporting uh, the industry initiatives both in Canada and globally. I've been a member and a director of the Canadian Language Industry Association and I'm, I'm I'm very proud of my contributions in the different committees and uh, at the board level. I, I'm also very proud of my role at uh, the ALC. I've chaired the survey committee in 2018, and, and I think as a group, we formed the way the industry surveys are conducted and our work was very transformative. On, on a personal level, I'm very proud of our many pro bono and charitable activities, uh, from supporting students, donating to our children's hospitals here in, in, in Canada, and also helping travelers who were stranded during the first wave of the pandemic. Pandemic, uh, who needed language support in different countries. And I, I think um, that's something very important to all of us. And, and for building a great team, I'm very proud of that, uh, of those contributions uh, to uh, my organization and to the industry at large. So what I hear from um, what you shared is that you like people and you like diversity. So you like giving back to the people who have these interesting journeys in, you know, represent different um, walks of life. Is Absolutely. that... <laughs> you like people, right? Don't um, we all? Like if we're in this industry, we have to love people, cultures, languages. There's so much to it. So true. Um, and it's quite um, inspiring to hear that, you know, from a colleague uh, that it's a sentiment that you share as well. So that's wonderful. That's so, so refreshing. And sometimes we need to hear that from, you know, someone we respect and regard uh, as well, just as a gentle reminder. So thank you for reminding me of how much we like people. And that's why we do what we do, right? We get along so well, Iti. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So which leads me to my next question. Now, now, as a leader at, you know, YYZ Translations, which is based in Canada, a nation that has so much diversity, it, it take pride in its diversity. What can you share about the growth projection of localization as an industry? And, you know, what do you believe in terms of technology, which you shared earlier, NLP? How how would some of this technology aid the growth in, in moving, you know, the country further, uh, moving the economy further, especially after what we've experienced recently? Thank you for, for that very um 
deep and thoughtful question, uh, Iti. Let me let me try to break that down. Uh, I see a lot of opportunities for growth. Uh, I'm talking at a global context, but in the context of Canada, it is a nation of immigrants, and we are growing very quickly as a population. More people are moving into Canada from many different parts of the world, and while our two official languages are robust and very well supported, I'm proud that in Canada we accommodate the languages and cultural needs of our new citizens, residents, and refugees. Uh, that makes us very unique in the world, I believe, and, and many countries are right now trying to, to uh, replicate that model. I'm also very proud of our government for stepping up and, and supporting our indigenous communities by offering official communications and, and their languages. So as an industry, translation and localization is poised to uh, to grow and expand in Canada. I, I think the concern is uh, how do we address the human resources gap, the, the workforce that we need in order to support um, this, this particular need? Um, because we have fewer people going into translation and localization fields um, in terms of education. Um, so for that matter, I think ALC's The Bridge Initiative is very timely and it is trying to address that um, that, that gap. And then Canada's similar initiatives are underway. To address your question about technology and um, natural language processing, basically, which is the component of artificial intelligence that, that allows us to, to do things such as machine translation and so forth, I think we are on the cusp of something very big and very exciting. Not only we will now be able to process and translate those millions of words uh, of text that were considered less important in the past and, and never got translated because translation was expensive, but we are also introducing new areas of business for our translators, linguists, and, and other folks who are basically you know working in this industry and, and earning a living from that. So um, obviously machine translation post-editing has been around for a few years, but there are many um, other areas, uh, new areas, where they can find revenue streams. For example, natural language generation or NLG is a subfield of uh, natural language processing, and, and we could create content in other languages uh, without translating. So if you would imagine, it's like transcreating uh, in a different language um, within the context and parameters of, of the culture, social political requirements in terms of the economy, what appeals to people, their history. So imagine if machines did all of that, we created that, that type of content. Uh, this will require moderating of content, editing, fact checking, and so on. So uh, I think new areas of business will open up within our industry. Of course, the whole industry will go through some form of calibration, and that holds for linguists as well, whether it requires retooling uh, in terms of their education, learning about uh, new tools, technologies. We all need to uh, get ourselves uh, up to date, and uh, that represents a big opportunity for all of us. That's so wonderful. And I'm learning so much uh, technologically as well in the initiatives that you are a part of. So this is um, almost like a lesson for me uh, and expanding my horizons and stretching my brain in all sort of directions. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of the smartest people in our industry, of course, beside Carrie and uh, Javier there. <laughs> of course. You flatter me. Um, no doubt, no doubt. You flatter me. Um, however, you shared earlier that as far as YYZ, um, you know, your, your company is concerned, you have in the recent years have been able to expand outside of Canada and have presence in different regions. Um, however, what is that one differentiating factor or that you know unique selling preposition for YYZ? 
You see, when we bootstrapped our company in 2006, the idea behind the company was not just to offer translation services, because everybody does that, but to solve a communication problem in the world. Uh, this this problem is actually too big for one company to address, and, and we decided to pick the parts that we could add value and solve those problems. So... Um, our focus became a combination of language types and industry verticals where we could focus and, and be unique. And if I were to define exactly what my company is best at and delivers to its customers, is that would be access to low resource languages in the areas of corporate training, healthcare, government and legal sectors. That's uh, our forte with translation. And we also complement that with speech to text translation and transcription for same sectors and multilingual data sourcing for machine learning projects, which basically we are leveraging the same resources that we have already built for translation. To address your question about the USP, we are all about helping you reach the untapped language markets. Uh, in other words, uh, low resource languages that no one else wants to address. So that's where our unique selling proposition is. Wow. Um, that's, yeah, that's quite fascinating. That the, And what would be some of the low resource languages that you work with on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, um, there, there are quite a few of them, but to name a few, there would be Akoli from Africa, for example, um, Kenya. Rwanda, Tigrinya, um, you're looking at Donka from Bhutan, well, a small country in Asia. Um, there are some uh, very rare uh, Indian and Ch languages of China, for example, Tibet, Central Asian languages such as Kazakh and Kyrgyz and so forth. So these are the languages that um, there's not much volume of work and there are not many translators available. So uh, we try to um, create a service product out of that and, and offer it to those clients who need to, to reach those populations. And uh, I call that the last frontier because everyone else is addressing all the major populations of the world, but these people are under um, underserved in terms of communication, um, in particular in the healthcare sector. Right now, COVID is a major example. Uh, they don't know too much about what it is. And, and, and as a result, actually, it's spreading uh, very fast in, in some of these communities. So we try to help and address that gap. And, and I think there will be several years until we have all the content or most of the content ready for those markets. So until then, my company will be um, trying to to close that gap. Wonderful. Yeah, that's so fascinating to hear. And um, and Bhutan is a country you mentioned. I it's you know it's a neighboring country to India, uh, which right. where I'm from. And it's this beautiful, uh, beautiful tiny little uh, gem of a country tucked between uh, these you know bigger Asian countries. So yeah, the rep and representation matters, right? That's what we've learned. Of course. In days that representation matters and equality is not enough uh, when equity is missing. So I'm glad that you are making headway uh, in terms of representation when it comes to cultural representation through language. Absolutely. And I think it's a duty on all of us to make sure that those small communities, whether we're talking about the indigenous communities in the U.S. or in Canada or, or those uh, Pacific nations, or we're looking at Asian and African countries, I think we all bear responsibility to make sure that they are represented, as you mentioned, and uh, that we address their needs um, as equitably as possible when it comes to technology, for example, machine translation and so forth. At this point, um, most of the budgets obviously go to uh, places is where they have um, you know a bigger population uh, there's bigger demand for product but but that needs to change i think as as internet spreads uh, for example um, these days we hear that um, there's satellite based internet services being offered um, the solution where they offer um, high speed internet to rural and remote areas and i think with that a lot of things will change more people will come online on social media and we need to be ready to to offer them content so far we've been turning a blind eye to that but at some point that will change.
Yeah, and it's it's that change in the mind shift, right? That uh, from tier one countries, because a lot of organizations today, I believe when they think of their language strategy, they're tying that into their vision and their mission of the company as well, right? Because the new generation, um, you know, after the millennials, the the Gen Z, they can't be fooled. And that's the next, you know, workforce coming in, uh, and, and going to be leading us in the next few years in all the initiatives and all organizations. And that is who we need to cater to. So a lot of vision and mission and purpose of organizations ties into what they represent in terms of their content, which is, I believe, beyond just um, revenue. It's about Absolutely. the and and what drives the people to showing up to work um, and find their work meaningful every day. But um, which leads me to my next question for you, Sultan. If you had a hope or a vision for localization as an industry five or 10 years out, what what would be that hope or that vision for our industry? Thanks, E.T. Well, I, I forgot my crystal ball at home today, so <laughs> I have to <laughs> improvise. Uh, I, I think the, the, the industry is moving towards a very interesting future. Um, obviously, no one can say in certainty as to what will happen, but the amount of content is probably going to grow exponentially. Um, uh, I can see that there will be a lot of attention from outside the industry to solve some of the challenges that we have been trying to solve for forever, for a long time. And um, as you can see, technology is playing a role. And, and most of the large players from outside our industry are taking a, a look at what we've been doing. And, and um, luckily or not, they're using some of our experiences to their advantage and, and building solutions uh, around that. I see, uh, as I said, involvement of large digital platforms to provide a mix of machine translation with post-editing as a service, which might bring some changes to the industry. Translation and localization is one of those industries where people from outside uh, find it boring and those inside quickly get comfortable with the status quo. Uh, to me, it's still this industry is a little bit dusty and, and hasn't been modernized to the degree that it should be. But that, that will change. Uh, machine learning will bring a slew of new opportunities and lines of business. Uh, for example, we talked about NLG earlier, and it will uh, have a much larger part of content going into AI-driven transcreation. It will also open doors to many new areas that we haven't yet imagined. Um, it is a very exciting time, uh, as I said earlier, because what we're doing now will shape the future. I, I think the era of of big vendor, big conference, big everything may be over. And in the context uh, of, of what we're doing, in the next few years, we will witness more focused, specialized, customer-centric solutions that will become dominant in our industry. I think that is a good thing as democratization of information and translation will lead to better client satisfaction. Yeah. And, you know, I have been a guest on your podcast, which is a collaboration that I particularly enjoyed. I, I feel like every time I chat with you, there's something that I learn. Uh, you, um, you know, bring your unique perspective, which is something I value. But in the transformation, the world and, you know, economies um, and businesses have experienced recently, which we will see the sort of the domino ripple effect throughout this year and perhaps in the future as well to some regard. As an entrepreneur, what, what you just shared that, you know, the era of big conferences and big everything might be changing. What are your thoughts on social selling and micro influencers in, in that context? Well, uh, that's a question that should be posed to Javier here. I mean, he's the he's the king of social selling and micro influencers. Uh, <laughs> 
we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, th- that's an area that uh, obviously I look up to him for that. But he, uh, again, Javier is a superhero in social selling, and I have an entire episode interviewing him on on this topic. Let me share my thoughts with you. What I think, uh, as I said, uh, the era of big conferences, monopolized information pipelines through print and information hubs is almost behind us. Uh, the only positive from COVID uh, for our industry was that it opened the floodgates to social connectivity. Those of us who had micro skills, some obscure knowledge or, or experience, we had an opportunity to use the digital platforms with, with large audiences and, and try to reach them in ways that would interest them. So um, the podcast is a good example, this particular platform. Uh, all colleagues listening right now can relate to us and we deliver information that is relevant and applicable to their daily lives as opposed to waiting months or an entire year to go to a mega conference only to listen to a presentation they've heard 10 times in other events, which is commercially motivated, so sponsored by someone. I, I think uh, that is where the value from social influencer comes to play. I don't really believe in the concept of social selling. I think as Harvey might agree, it is about using the social platforms to build bonds and trust with like-minded people which can and and will translate into business down the road. That is not selling by traditional definition and a a lot of us are unfortunately still confused about that. Um, I say attend Lok Life and let Javi define it for you better. (laughs) I think um, you were as candid as you could have my questions. And I think this is a perfect uh, stopping point for me and to hand the reins over to Javi. and perfect transition for Javi to take over. So Javi, over to you. Thank you, my dear friend. Well, it's 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 an honor to be here with you guys. And and when I when we jump into this call, I promise myself that today I would speak slower, right? <laughs> I, I I I told Sultan that my 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 biggest thing is as a non-native, like a Spanish speaker, and as a non-native English speaker, I tend to speak very fast. So today, I promise you that I'm going to ask my questions slower. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sulta, my friend, uh, I'm glad to be here. This this talk, this interview, it had to be done. You're doing so much. This morning, I woke up and I listened to a podcast about leadership and greatness. And I heard that uh, and the, the person that was giving this podcast gave a definition of greatness, saying that greatness is not a destination, but it's a journey. That was beautiful. I, I, had, I had shivers. And what you're doing in a in a small in a in, in the scale that you're doing it through your podcast is 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 greatness to me it's greatness you're inspired thank you I've heard, I've, I've heard your podcast i've listened to et of course to carrie of course to anna of course to many of you i i i have to say that i joined later i joined later when we when we when we spoke but i did wanted to do this because this is this is needed you deserve all the best I appreciate that so, thank you so much it's a pleasure brother so from my side, and, and you know, we, we discussed a few months ago about the, or a, month, a couple of months ago, yeah, about, uh, you know, from a, from a new wave of, of, of doing sales, what you're talking about, about, uh, you know, how the millennial generation is about to get there, is still not there, but we're getting there with power and things are changing. So with you today, I would like to bring up some questions about, uh, you know, uh, sales, marketing and, and those related topics. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to start, my dear friend, asking you about, uh, you know, some a question about the you know marketing for for the language service provider for the LSP right your contribution your contribution the future you've been in this industry for quite some time and as a president of your company oh by the way you are working in the ALC with my cousin mi prima Clerani uh, she's not really my cousin but she's, she comes from <laughs> Asturian descendants and every time we're talking cousin 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 right 
So what you're doing as president of your own company and you're highly involved in sales and marketing strategies, right? When you recorded my, uh, this podcast uh, some, some weeks ago, we discussed the evolution of sales and how slowly the millennial generation is starting to be the targeted audience, right? What is your take on the most recent buying trends and habits? Is adaptation to those one of your priorities priorities as a business owner? Thanks, Javi. Your kind words mean so much to me. And and honestly, uh, I've been learning from you um, after that, that podcast episode. I've been following you on social media and, and you're full of information. So I'm very blessed to have you as a friend and today you interviewing me. So let me actually share um, uh, some of my insights and experiences and, and hopefully I can answer your uh, your question uh, to your satisfaction. To be honest with you, I'm learning about these trends and habits as well. Uh, we have to adapt to the buying habits of our clients. And of course, as a business owner, it, it is a priority to understand our client's mindset and, and buying patterns. Uh, as we discussed in our interview for the podcast, uh, the millennial buyer is slowly taking over the localization procurement uh, around the globe. Um, in, in North America, where I am based, and, and Carrie is here, I guess it is here as well, and, and you obviously deal with North American market quite often while you're in Europe, I find that the millennial buyer looks beyond the simple business transaction. They look at social aspects of the products and services they are buying. Um, environmental footprint is a major determinant in how the millennials perceive a particular product or service. Uh, I think as an industry, we need to pay attention to those data points and adjust how we present ourselves and our services to our esteemed millennial supply chain colleagues and, and our client organizations. So yeah, it's 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 work in progress and, and we are learning on the fly. I love this, my man. This is so cool. Like it, yeah, I mean, we share a similar point of view in this, right? Like this is exactly what we discussed the other day. Absolutely. I'm loving it. Thank you. And thanks for following me. Thank you very much. Very much. And, uh, and uh, I really need to, to continue this conversation asking you about, you know, the, the importance of communities. You know, uh, I'm very close friends with Jan Hinrich. He built right. this beautiful com community of Lock Lunch around the world. He's building it. I'm super good friends with my big sister, Anna Schlegel. She built a beautiful community. Of, she is a member of, founding member of Women in Localization. And there's other com communities out there. I'm trying to build the Lock Life community, right? Mm -hmm. You and I discussed the power of communities in the past, as I said, right? How important positive communities that influence positively and help you go grow as a, as, a, as a professional and as a person, of course. We've discussed the importance. So so what is your what do you think about community building? Do you think that our industry has room for more beneficial communities? Uh, well, uh, Javi, communities are incredibly important. I think we had communities in the past in different forms, and, and they were very much monopolized. And for example, if you look at Coca-Cola, their following was more like a community, if you will. Um, in the past, we tried to build groupings of clients, segmented them based on revenue, product type and so forth. We need to continue to do that. But on top of that, I think building communities, which is essentially a group of like-minded individuals on social platforms uh, who take an interest in you as a person or as an expert in a specific area is very valuable and quite frankly, the cheapest and easiest way to market your services too. Mm -hmm. You, you don't need to have a following of hundreds of thousands of people. A small community of 50 people who connects with you and understands the value of your leadership and your category is what you're aiming for. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has said it before, like the democratization of, of everything in this industry, right? Like right. how communities are taking over uh, conferences and how communities are taking over, you know, information sharing. And, and it, it is, it, it, it mentioned it just right now. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Nice, nice. I have another question for you, man. You know that uh, I, I, 
I, I don't know if I'm doing well, if I'll ever be one of these, but one of the things that I am always trying to read about, listen to podcasts about, and, and, and learn and discuss with friends is about the topics of lead, the topic of leadership, right? How important leadership is to learn, to move forward, to help others grow, right? To, to help in general, right? To help people grow from, from my understanding. Right. And, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and to me, I've, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm, I'm a kid. I'm a 38 year old kid. So here I am, right? And I've had, I've been, I've experienced leadership and leadership in this industry, outside of the industry, and in other places, right? I've experienced the the leader shepherd who walks behind the group, making sure that the group doesn't go offline and follows the, the indications, the indications given. Or the one I like the most, the leader shepherd who instead of walking behind walks in front of the group and leads by example. Given your experience in this industry, do you think our industry has more of the shepherd who walks behind or the shepherd who walks uh, in front? And what is your particular take on leadership, my friend? Wow, that's a, that's a tough one. But let me let me try to uh, break it down and, and answer that. Uh, I think it's a mixed bag. And we also have another type uh, or type C, if you call it, which is the leader who is not part of the herd and has no idea what the, where the herd is. Um, I know several organizations with the C type leaders. Unfortunately, in our industry, it, it's common. I personally think I'm a B-type leader. As you said, that's my favorite type of leadership. If I'm not on time or don't take my work seriously, I can't expect my team to do the same thing. Um, a leader is a human being at the end of the day and uh, must demonstrate basic human qualities such as leading the way, respect, caring, understanding, and demonstrating incredible patience and calm under pressure. It is true that we are in business and the goal is commercial success, but numbers don't mean much uh, without people. Um, we are not selling translation to machines. Uh, at the end of the day, we are selling a service made by people and uh, promoted by people for some people who will be using it to um, prepare it for human consumption for for other people's consumption. So it is a people's business. And if we don't understand people, I think we are in the wrong business. Remember that, as I said, translation does not sell itself. People who want and like the translation service will pay for it. So if you treat with respect the people who deliver the service, your team, your client, and, and build an environment where everyone can thrive, I think you will achieve success much easily compared to pushing numbers and matrix down your team's throat. Um, leadership means lead. Your team will only follow if you're one of them and, and they trust you. Ha hashtag no uh, micromanagement. I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's obvious. No, because I've experienced both and uh, I felt more realized, uh, more, more as a professional, as a person with, you know, people that, that let you do right that that they don't show anything through your throat and uh and anna schlegel mentioned this last week during the during the last session of lock life she spoke about the the how the worst thing in leadership could be uh, going into into a micro uh, micromanagement thing and 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 and, and pushing people and, and pressuring people right but there's still people that think that their idea is that one and they still do it and well the business grows so i don't know Right. I think it goes through the it goes it passes through. Personally, I think that it passes through the to the kind of person you are and to the values that you've learned and you and you and you and you've grown up with, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have another question, you know. We are sure. we're I have a couple more and uh and uh we're lucky. Like I, I, I am a traveler. 
I've learned so much from travel and I've lived in five countries like United States, Spain, Germany, Czech Republic, Ukraine. And our industry is known for being international, which is amazing, right? And I want to ask you something about international business relationships and how to nurture them, right? right. Doing business from, from anywhere in the world is nowadays easier than ever, especially thanks to, you know, my tool number one, social media and other channels. On the other hand, going to conferences might become less relevant every day. If you want, as it is said, more democratic, given the possibilities of one creating his own or her own event, right? I think we talk about this. Do you think in general that we are using the available platforms, resources, technologies, the most adequate way to create new business relationships? Do we still depend a lot on that face-to-face contact to do business or create new relationships? How would you improve the use of available platforms? I mean, you want to ask, you want to reply the first couple then and when we, we can talk about what we mentioned before, the improvement of, of the available platform. A happy dues are, are a great set of questions. Wow. Uh, let me try to answer them sequentially. Um, I do not think we are using the social platforms to their maximum potential even today. Um, uh, after what COVID forces to learn about remote work, I, I think the generational gap is an issue too, because there are people who have conducted business using traditional mechanism of face-to-face and in-person meetings and, and so on. And it is hard for those to grasp what social media and remote business actually is and how it is conducted. Uh, but if we get past that, uh, I, I think it has become more normal to make friends, build trust and establish business relationships online. Um, after the trust is established, of course. If if you look beyond business, um, online dating has been thriving over the years and even prior generations are jumping on that uh, bandwagon. I'm smiling I, I, here eh? when you said the online dating thing. <laughs> I, I think that the same is true for business. I mean, I would imp- improve the adoption of social media platforms by demonstrating the value and power of connections and communities. Um, the current crisis taught us that we don't need the monster conferences, as we, as I mentioned earlier, uh, monopolized information channels and, and commercial propaganda, which in essence has been holding back innovation in so many ways in our industry. Um, I alluded to, to this earlier, but grassroots movements online such as Lok Lunch and Lok Life for, that you've been championing yourself. Lok Lunch obviously is, is being championed by my friend um, and you know him as well quite well, Jan Henrik. Um, and, and you have been doing an amazing job um, with Lok Life. These are great examples of where uh, there's value and how social media can leverage sharing of knowledge and allow networking without the fluff, uh, the airfare or expensive suits. Yeah, 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 I totally get you, man. Can you believe that I am 10 months, This um, we're talking today on in late January, 2021. I still haven't met my face, my, my team face to face in the States. No, well, isn't that a good thing? We get things done it's without, an, yes. you know, without traveling or without seeing, but in a way it's, it's also depressing because we are all stuck in our homes and, uh, but I think that will change that in the future. We'll have a hybrid model where people will be working from home and seeing each other, but uh, hopefully without the fear of this virus. So I'm looking forward to that. Indeed. Indeed. I was like, I was talking yesterday with our sales team lead about this, like our industry from our perception. And I agree with him. It's a very particular industry, which combines that, uh, that use of technology, cutting edge, Silicon Valley taste with the human taste, right? With the human touch, right? So, so, so I think we, it's a very particular industry and, and I believe that, that we should continue having it this way, right? 
how would you improve the use of available t- platforms? How would we improve? I think it, it comes down to how we are engaging with people. And and these platforms, at the end of the day, all they are, uh, they, they are helping you facilitate relationships. So, for example, um, the reason why I'm talking to you and, and Carrie and Eti today is because we, we established these relationships over LinkedIn, which is an online platform. Uh, I have been learning so much. And, and as a result of that learning, at times when I needed a service, I know where to go to and who to acquire it from. Um, for example, uh, I, I follow you, I follow Carrie, and uh, from Carrie, I learned so much about women and localization and what they do. And, and uh, one of my passions is uh, gender equality. I am uh, a father to uh, a son and a daughter. I see them both equally, but I've had this conversation with uh, with Carrie before that my daughter always uh, asks me these questions about how society is imbalanced in terms of looking at gender and providing opportunities. And and Carrie is passionate about that. I've I've been talking to her. So the social platform has helped me, uh, g- you know, engage in that. And and if we do that, if we find those issues and and those concerns that we are passionate about, and and we look at these platforms, they they connect us to like-minded people. And and uh, if we do that, uh, a Adoption will increase automatically. Obviously, uh, there is a, a misconception that um, you know you should have large followers uh, or large um, volumes of people liking your content. I disagree with that. I think you need the right type of following. You need the right types of people looking at your content because uh, you cannot make everyone happy all the time. You just have to um, connect with with people who understand you and and get you. So. Um, that would increase the adoption of social media channels uh, um, in certain ways. And it does not mean in terms of volume or how many people you should be following or should be following you. I love it. I love it because this is where we talked the other day. I love it. Sultan, Absolutely. I love it. I'm so connected. <laughs> I remember when you spoke about the importance of, of, the, of, how, of, of the quality versus the quantity, right? Absolutely. About that. That's that's brilliant that you also share this point. I want to ask you one more question. Well, actually, two because we closed our before I do the closing question, which you always ask you ask your guest to give us advice. But before we go into the advice that you would give, I want to ask you about mentoring, and uh, and and it's another super important question. You know, where, like where do you find inspiration, mentoring? Uh, because I think mentoring is key for everybody, regardless of age, culture, country, wherever you are. Right. Right. Where does an industry leader like you? seek mentoring do you often have a chance to mentor others to be honest with you i i don't have one mentor i identify the people that i like the way they conduct business and how they have become successful and and i try to cherry pick their good qualities and and you know you know what what they're good at and try to replicate that uh, in myself i've only had two mentors until today who have been in this industry longer than i've been and they share their wisdom with me um i follow their advice and i'm very lucky to have them as as my guides and and also as my friends uh, there's a lot of knowledge and experience in our industry and i'm hoping that uh, uh, all of us uh, will pass that on to the the next generation so it's it's not just about our legacy it's also about um, you know, making sure that the next generation or next set of people who come in and, and manage this industry, they, they have the right tools and uh, experiences and information to, to make uh, proper and uh, educated decisions. Mm-hmm. I have mentored a few individuals in the past and shared my experiences with them. Uh, although I'm not as experienced as my other distinguished colleagues here, I, I think uh, it becomes a responsibility to make sure we help train the next generation of leaders in, in our industry. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. It does. It does. And I told you that we, millennials like E.T. and I, we're coming strong 
So we look at people like you for mentoring always, right? And uh, last, once again, I quote uh, what Anna Schlegel said the other day, the importance of building strong relationships with your mentors, right? Absolutely. So that's, that was key, right? So, so you can reach out to them at the right moment. You know how they are and you know what to ask them and how to ask them to get the best for both of them, right? Because I, I personally believe that when you get to, when you have a certain experience and you share it, it's regardless of your age, culture, country, as I said before, you should do it. If it's for good, you should do it. So mentoring, I agree with you. It's like key and, and very important. And I thank you for that. And so thank you. the last thing that I, <laughs> the last thing I wanted to ask is like you, as I said before, you closed the sessions or you normally close the sessions asking, so guys, what kind of, uh, I mean, guest, <laughs> what kind <laughs> of advice would you, would you give, would you give the listeners? And now I have to ask you, my friend, what kind of advice to those who are listening to this amazing interview given by these two amazing ladies and by me here, uh, what kind of advice uh, that, that for those who are, you know, from not only in the business development and marketing side, come on, what kind of advice would you give for the future with a good heart to, to, to people that listen to this? Well, uh, I, I'm by no means qualified to give advice. I mean, I, I'm in the learning uh, mode myself, but uh, I would like to echo your own thoughts, Javi. Don't sell, but build trust. This is what you say, and and uh, I, I I think it's something that we should all um, look at very carefully and and try to adapt. Sales uh, comes after you build trust and relationship. Most colleagues in the sales and BESDEF sectors uh, have quotas and targets to meet, uh, but as you as you all know, we can't sell translation or any business service for that matter. Like we can sell commodities. Most of us jump into selling after reading a book on sales or after working in a sales role in another vertical. My uh, my suggestion is to step back, look at what you're selling, who needs it, what does the demand and market conditions look like. Um, if you have time, read on Porter's Five Forces and adapt your business development strategy accordingly. Then identify who in your target industry needs your service and create a list of such individuals. Learn about their preferences, likes, and where they hang out. Uh, build out relationships with them and please be genuine. Uh, nobody likes to talk sales with you on the first conversation. Instead of selling, try to solve a problem. Everyone who needs to buy something is trying to solve a problem. If your potential client has a problem in a specific international market, see if translation is the reason and approach them with a solution at the right time. But don't push them to buy just from you. Give them options. Uh, be the trusted advisor. Sales happens when your potential client feels comfortable with you and trusts your judgment. It is not easy, but I think that is the right approach. And, and one more thing, don't sell anything that you don't believe in. If you will not buy it, don't sell it to someone else. That would be my advice. Sultan, my friend, I have learned. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank back, you. Back to my dear friend, Carrie. We've all learned so much. So Iti, Javi, thank you so much for your participation, your thoughtful questions. You guys did the heavy lifting in this interview, and I appreciate it. Sultan, we've learned so much about you, and now all of us can appreciate your efforts, your contributions, your talent, your knowledge, and leadership in our thank localization you. industry. I really enjoyed hearing your insights on the industry and understanding where your fire and your passions come from. Thank you so much for your time on this podcast. We really appreciate it. As you said, it's not necessary to meet in person anymore, but we really would love to meet you in person at the next opportunity, perhaps later this year. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for having me as a guest today and for thinking of me. But uh, no, I really appreciate your time and, and for uh, making this episode happen. So thanks so much. Thank you. I also look forward to meeting in person with all of you guys. Really. Likewise, I cannot wait for that day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about the jet lag anymore. I want to have jet lag. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for it. Let's let's hope it will be at a local life event somewhere. <laughs> yes, there you I go. Yeah. There's plans on this. We will talk. We will talk about this. Don't worry. There will be plans about that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.